Well, it is good to be with you all this morning. As Bobby said, uh, my family, we live in, actually, uh, I think Texans would prefer to refer to it as the nation state of Texas. Uh, it's like a whole other country over, over there. Uh, but we are so blessed to be with you all here this morning. Uh, it's been a great weekend. We've gotten to fly out and visit, and we have been fans of Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach for some time now. We have all the way from Texas been praying uh, for you, and we've been hearing, you know, through the grapevine and Facebook and Bobby and Krista, all that God is doing at this church, and it's been great to meet uh, so many of you this weekend, and uh, you know, when I think of Compass Huntington Beach, I, I think of prayer. I, I don't know about you, but just thinking about the many people that I know who uh, go here, who are people of prayer, and even just the way that this church started, right? People gathering together at Compass Bible Church, Aliso Viejo, and praying for a whole year, even sometimes all the way through the night, for the work that God was going to do in planting this body of believers here in this city. And now it's, it's like I'm, I'm here and I get to see you all, and it's, it's such a joy uh, for me. And so I thought it was appropriate when Bobby asked me to preach this morning that we should talk about prayer together. And so please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we will be looking at verses 7 through 11. So that's on page 812. If you've got kind of one of the standard issue Compass Bible Church Bibles in your hands, you can turn to page 812. And I'm excited to get into God's Word this morning together with you. Let's read together in verse 7, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is such a sweet passage. And I think that so many people in our culture today, they are not very excited about prayer. Even people in many churches today are not very excited. Prayer seems like a chore to many people, it seems like the life vest that's available under your seat on an airplane, right? It seems like that you're, you're glad that it's there in case of an emergency, and I really hope that I never have to use it, right? I hope I'm never in the situation where I have to remember those crew member instructions that I didn't really pay attention to that much. But I think the, pr- the picture of prayer that Jesus gives us in this passage isn't like that. It is exciting. It is, it is good. We have a good gift in prayer. And that brings us to our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, if you've got a note sheet in your bulletin, you can take that out and follow along with us as we, as we work through this. And I think there's a few things that, that God wants us to do in response to hearing his word in this text. And the first thing is that each and every one of us needs to realize the promise of prayer. That's our first point this morning. Realize the promise of prayer, right? And if we see here, if we even just kind of look at this in general, there's a couple things we got to take note of is that the first thing is that in this passage, the way that God describes the relationship that Christians have to God is of a father to a son, right? A father to a child, right? And he says, if you look at verse 9, he says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He's just kind of appealing to the common knowledge that in general, dads want to do what is good for their children, right? He says, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Now, I've, I'm a dad. I've got three boys. And as a dad, like this passage has really come into focus for me, even just in the last five years as we've had. I want to like introduce you to my kids. They're not in the room, but can we show those, those cute pictures? That's my oldest son, Charlie, right there. He's a, he's a bunch of fun. And then we've got twins. We were doubly blessed with twins. And that's Miles and then his brother, Oliver. I mean, don't you just want to grab those cheeks and run for the door? I mean, honestly, that kid, those kids are so 
cute. And they're, uh, they're, the twins are almost two. They'll be two this month. And if you're a parent, you kind of know the different phases that you go into as your kids are, are growing up and growing older. And right now, we're at the phase where they're, they're just starting to talk. They're not really talking English. They're kind of talking their own dialect of English. And uh, so it's so fun to start, like, interacting verbally with my, my twins. And, uh, you know, my, my, one of my twins, Miles, he's just like an all-out kind of guy. Like, when he does something, like, he does it with heart and with gusto. And so we've gotten to this thing recently that he'll come up to me, and he'll look at me with his, you know, you know cute eyes and everything like that, and he'll just go, juice! <laughs> right? And he just, like, does it like that. And it's like, as a dad, you hear your son coming to you, and ask, he's asking you for apple juice. That's the translation of his, of his dialect there. And, and it's just like, yes, I will give you the apple juice of which you seek, right? Like, it's like, it just melts your heart as a dad to see your child coming to you. And it, that's the general principle that we know that we, we've all seen examples of dads that, that don't love their kids and don't treat their kids this way. But in general, even non-Christian people long to do what is good for their children. They long to bestow good gifts to their children. And the way that Jesus describes this, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, right? That's not the way we like to describe ourselves a lot of the time. But in comparison to a holy God, each and every one of us, we're evil in comparison. Apart from Christ, you and I are sinful, right? So even a sinful dad, even, you know, just a a normal guy here in Huntington Beach that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you could look at him and you could see, hey, that guy wants to do what is good for his children, right? And then you look at it and it says, God says, if you then who are evil know how to do this, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to his children, to those who ask him, right? Like that's what we've got to understand this morning is that God, as he relates to us, he is the perfect heavenly father, right? I am limited, right? Like God is perfect. There is no laziness in God, no defect whatsoever. God is perfectly holy and that is the kind of love and and care that he gives to his children. Like my ability even to provide for my own kids is limited, right? I don't have unlimited resources. I don't have unlimited time or strength or energy, but God is unlimited, right? He's not limited by, by energy, by, by space, by time. God is perfect, and I think we've got to realize that the way that a Christian relates to God is like a, a child relating to a father who loves them, who cares for them, who is engaged in their life. That's, that's really different than the way a lot of people think about God, right? A lot of people think about God as distant, far off, kind of miserly, you know, kind of tight-fisted, but God is not describing himself that way. God is saying that he is a perfect heavenly father who gives good things to those who ask him. Right? So that's a promise, right, that a Christian relates to God in a special, unique, and awesome way. And the promise is that if we go to our Heavenly Father and ask Him that God answers prayer. That's the point of this passage. This is why it is repeated here in verse 7. He says, you see what he's doing here? He's kind of saying the same thing three times in a row for emphasis. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Didn't get it already? Let me say it once again. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Right? This is a promise here. Jesus is saying, if people come to me, my people come to me, and they ask, they will receive. Right? There's no no qualifications. There's no provisos in this text. It's not, well, if they ask, well, maybe you might get it, possibly, perhaps. It's an expressed request and a favorable answer. It's very, very straightforward the way that Jesus presents prayer here. And I think at this point, many people maybe even have heard this text before, and I think a lot of people begin to doubt, right? Because they see it, and they're like, okay, this is what God is saying. But for a lot of us, it's like, I don't know that I've quite experienced that yet. You know, it's like for us, we had known of Compass Huntington Beach, right? We had seen many posts on Facebook. We'd had conversations with Bobby and Krista, but now we're here and we are experiencing it for ourselves. And I think a lot of people, they're in that spot where they're like, well, I've heard about that, but I don't know if that's really happened for 
for me. And I think a lot of people, when they come to that realization, they start to assume that there's a problem with either God's word or God himself. And I want to assure you that the problem is not with the Bible. The problem is not with God, right? If someone were to go up to maybe one of the many office buildings here in Orange County and maybe they were to go there in the evening and they were to go up to the door and try to open it and it doesn't open for them, if they were to conclude, well, I guess just no one's able to go into this building, right? It's inaccessible. No one, no one can, I don't even know if a person's ever been in there. I've heard people say that they're in there, but I don't see how it could, I mean, you'd say that's ridiculous. Absolutely, like people can go into that building. It's the problem is not with the building. The problem is with, with you, right? You don't have access to the building or you're not going to the access point to be granted access. I think a lot of people say, I've tried that. I've asked God for more money and I don't have any more money. I've asked God for a better boss and I am still working for that mean boss that I have. I've asked God to be healthy and I am sick. I'm still sick. I've asked God to get me out of that jam and I was jammed up in it. it. It did not work out well for me. And I think that, that for some of us, um, you know, we've heard about this and we see this in the text, but we start to think, uh, it, is, that, is that real? Is that really for us? And that leads us to our second point this morning. I, I think we've got to realize that the problem is not with God. The problem is not with his word, but the problem is with most of what calls itself prayer. So our second point this morning is that we need to identify the problems with most prayer. Right? Most of what is called prayer in our society today is so different than what the Bible talks about prayer being. Right? We, need to, we need to understand, if, if this is what Jesus is saying, and I'm not experiencing that, what is the problem? Like, where, what, what's, what's, what's the hitch and the giddy up here? What, that's a Texas phrase, right? What, you know, what's going on? What's going on here? And I, I think that the first problem that we need to look at, we're going to see some subpoints, a few different problems that we're going to look at. And the first one is that if you're saying, I haven't experienced this, why is that? How can these things be? It might be because you may not be related to him, right? That's our first problem is that a problem with a lot of prayer is that you may not be related to him. So many people go to God or they think that they're going to God and they're asking him for things but they don't have a relationship with him. Now, if I was walking the halls this morning and, and some other child from some other family came up to me and said, Juice! My first question would be, where are your parents? <laughs> right? I mean, and get that juice from them. I mean, I'm a nice guy and everything, right? So I might, I don't have any juice on me, so I'm not going to dish it out uh, today. But uh, my kids, they have expectations because I'm their dad. Right? If my son comes to me and asks for something, he has a right to expect that I will provide it for him because he's my son. Right? I love him. But if some other person were to request something of me, they don't have that same right. They don't have that same expectation because they're not related to me. Right? Many of us, we might, we might think that uh, you know, God is like a genie in the bottle, that if we just rub it the right way, that he's going to poof and be there and grant our request. But many people are doing that while they are still an enemy of God. Right? They're not related to him. They're not a part of his family. They're actually an enemy to him. If you turn over uh, to the Gospel of John, turn over to Gospel of John chapter 8, and I think we'll just see this uh, clearly illustrated this morning, that's page 894. We're going to be in chapter 8, verse 34 of, of John. This is just a preview of coming attractions here at Compass uh, Bible Church, page 894, verse 34 of John chapter 8. And Jesus is having a conversation with some, some Jewish people who think that they are okay with the Lord. And let's just see how this plays out. It says that Jesus answered them in verse 34 of John 8, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That the way that Jesus describes even these people who think of themselves as good is that Jesus says that you are slaves to sin. If you are practicing sin, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Like we, we like to think of ourselves as, as being pretty good, 
most of the time, right? We're better than most people, and so we expect that God is going to accept us. And these Jews that Jesus was talking to were in the same exact spot that they thought because of their own goodness and even because of their family lineage, that they were Jewish, that they had descended from Abraham. They called themselves offspring of Abraham. They said in verse 39, you can look, he said, they answered him, Abraham is our father, right? They're appealing to their heritage. And then they even go so far as to say at the end of verse 41, they say, we have one father, even God. Right? So they are claiming that they are related to God, that God is their father. And look at what Jesus says to them. He says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. We like to think of ourselves naturally as good people, right? We're good, upstanding citizens. We think, yeah, absolutely, God's my father. We're all God's children. But the truth is, is that until we come to meet God's son, until we're saved by Jesus Christ, we are of our father, the devil, right? That we don't stand on God's side in his family. We stand in opposition to the Lord, in rebellion to the Lord, that our sin has made a separation between us and God. That's where we all start out, my, my friends, right? We're all born physically, but before we become a child of God, we have to be born again. We have to be adopted into God's family. Turn with me over to the book of Galatians, right? Page 974 in your Bible, Galatians chapter 4. And let's just continue seeing this uh, play out, even in this letter that Paul writes to people in Galatia. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul is writing of Jesus Christ, and he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God, right? That Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, everybody is saying that each and every one of us live in slavery to our sin. We are not a part of God's family, that God does not accept us, right? That he is perfect and holy, and he only accepts people who have been made perfect and holy. And God sent his son so that we could be made that way. Right, that's what he says here. God sent forth his son right, as a human being that God himself, Jesus Christ, took on flesh and lived the perfect life that you haven't lived and I haven't lived and no one has lived except Jesus Christ who f- perfectly fulfilled the law so that he might redeem us. That word redeem would have been used in, in olden days of, of the price that was paid to buy freedom for a slave. And that is the price that Jesus Christ paid for you, right? That he paid the price so that your sin could be taken away, so you could be granted freedom from the power and the penalty of sin in your life, right? That we need to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. That's the only way that that redemption can happen. That's the only way that you could be born again, that you can be given life. It's through Jesus Christ. A lot of people want to say, hey, I, I, I can do it on my own, right? Well, maybe I've been bad in the past, but I can start fresh today. I can pull myself up by my Texas bootstraps and, and, and try to make it happen. I can start doing some good stuff. No amount of good stuff that you're able to do is going to outweigh your sin, is going to make you acceptable in the eyes of of the Lord. It's only through the sacrifice, the, the payment that God himself has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, that you can be saved. And if you're saved, when you get saved, you also get adopted into his family, right? So that, if in Galatians 4, so, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, 
Father, right? That's the relationship, right? That's how we get that relationship where we can actually call God our Father. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Right? And if you go back to, to Matthew chapter 7, if you, if you remember where we started this, this morning, right? He says, ask, and it will be given to you. In verse 7, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you, right? God is this Father that longs to give good gifts to those who ask him. And let me tell you that there is no better gift that God could give you than to be saved through his son, Jesus Christ, and adopted into his family. And this promise of prayer is true for you today. If you're realizing even now that maybe I haven't experienced this kind of prayer, and maybe that's because I'm not even related to God. I can't legitimately call him my father. I have not been adopted to him. You can come to him today and ask him, and he will do it. And this is the, the kind of asking that happens on God's terms, right? Not our terms. We don't just go to God and say, hey, I don't want to get punished in hell forever. Could you, could you take care of that, right? It's, it's really, I think there's a couple key words that we talk about all the time here at Compass Bible Church Huntington Beach. It's repentance. It's faith that, that if you come to the Lord willing to make a complete break with your life of, of sin, to be done with the old you, and now to live for the Lord, and if your trust is fully and completely in the work of Jesus for you, if you come to, to, to God in repentance and faith and you ask him to save you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to save you. Right? No amount of sin that you've committed in the past will keep him from fulfilling his promise here in his word. Right? That all those who seek find, right, if you are realizing that you need the salvation that you cannot earn on your own, that only can be given to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ, ask him for it, and he will save you. And isn't it so many of us, the great joy that we have to say that we came to the Lord in repentance and faith and asked to be saved, and he saved us? Amen? Amen. Amen. So the first thing we've got to look at, the first problem that, that keeps so many people from experiencing this promise of the Lord is that they're not related to him. They're not a part of his family. They have not been adopted through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the first and foremost problem, right? That'll, you'll never, never experience this kind of prayer without being related to God. That's our first problem. Our second problem, our second sub-point is that you may not be asking. I write that down on your, on your notes. You may not be asking. Many, I think, who call themselves Christians think of prayer as optional, right? And Jesus here in Matthew 7, 7 is commanding his people to pray, to seek, to ask, to knock. This is not an optional. This is not, well, if you want to, if you want to be on the advanced track, then pray. We cannot neglect to obey this command. I know if a, if a friend came to you and, and they said, hey, I, I've been neglecting to be faithful to my wife. Now, I've been neglecting to pay for my food at the grocery store at Trader Joe's. I just took some JoJo's this week, a little bit of thievery going on in my life. You'd be like, that's a big deal. Let's talk about that, right? You wouldn't like treat that as, oh yeah, we're all kind of thieving right? No, you, you treat that as a very big deal, right? And I think a lot of people, they think, oh, yeah, I haven't really been praying very much. And, and other people are like, oh, yeah, I haven't either. All right. right? And that's where, where we leave it. We got to realize that this is a command that God wants you to obey, right? Every day that we do not pray is a disobedient day. It's a sinful, evil day. Because here's what we're saying, right? God is there as the heavenly father who is ready to provide, ready to do what we can't do. And when we don't pray, we're basically saying, God, I got this on my own, right? And if you've got young kids, you know they don't got this on their own, right? Like my sons need me to stay alive and my wife, right? They need both of us, right? They're not going to stay alive on their own. It's a problem if we don't ask. Right, turn to James chapter, chapter 4, and we'll continue just seeing, uh, seeing this all throughout the scripture. James chapter 4, page 1012 in your Bible. We'll just, we're just keeping you up to date on where we're at here. James chapter, chapter 4, at the end of verse 2, I, I'll even just read all of verse 2 uh, together. Page 1012, James chapter 4, verse 2. 
James writes, you desire and you do not have, so you murder and covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And listen to this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, right? That's a principle that so many people are not experiencing this promise of prayer from the Lord because they're not praying, because they're not asking the Lord to do this. Many people don't know this because they haven't asked. And I just want to encourage you, right, uh, these words are not complicated, right? Like, you can ask a question to someone else, right? You could, like, look around for something in your house, right? You could go up to a door and knock on it. It's not, it doesn't have to be as complicated as I think a lot of people make it. Maybe you're even kind of new to the Lord, and you're around some other believers that have been believers for a long time, and they're using words that you don't quite understand, and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know if uh, this prayer thing is for me. I feel like I've got to level up a few levels before I can, I can actually pray, right? Like, just go to God and talk to him like you would talk to a father who loved you, right? The verbiage is not what gets us our access to the Lord. It's Jesus Christ that gives us our access to the Lord, right? So go to God and ask, right? You got to realize that he knows what you need even before you ask him. Right? So it's not, it's not the like, you know, floweriness of your prose in prayer or how good it sounds or how spiritual it sounds. Go to the Lord and ask. Cry out to him. It's not as complicated as I think so many, many people make it out to be. We need to go and ask. If we're going to experience God answering prayer, we have to ask him first. Right, that's, that's another problem. Another problem that we see even, look, in continuing in James chapter 4 and verse 3. He says, you ask, right? So there, there are some people who aren't receiving because they're not asking, and then there are others who are asking, but you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, right? Our next problem, write this down on your notes, is that you may be asking for the wrong things or with the wrong motives. You may be asking for the wrong things or with the wrong motives. Now, James here is saying that there are people who are asking for things and they're not getting them, but because they're asking with the motive so that they can spend what they get from God on their passions. Right? There's a lot of things that it's, it's not wrong to ask for, right? Like health, safety, you know, provisions, a house, relationships, but I think so many times people go to God in prayer because they want things for themselves, right? And they go to God and they basically say, hey, I want this so that I can love this. I can love this gift. I can love this thing that you give me more than I love you. Turn back to Matthew chapter 7 and let's just look at this and we'll see this even from our text uh, this morning, right? We remember, hey, or if he asks you for a fish, we'll give him a serpent, right? Which of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone, right? We, we know, like this is the principle that we're seeing here. But let me ask you, what if uh, a son were to come to father and actually ask for the serpent, right? What if my kids were to come up to me and say, dad, hey, can we take those little plastic things out of the electrical sockets? I really want to shove my finger right in that, right? I want to see what that's like, right? Would I be a good father if I said, yes, I will grant you your request? I would be in jail if I granted that request, right? That I know as my dad, I know what is good for my kids and what is not good for my kids. And I think so many times people are asking for things that actually aren't good for them. And God knows it. And God is good not to grant that request, right? Like, I mean, even if you think about it, health, right? A lot of people, they ask for health, but really so that they can just feel good and self-confident and self-sufficient in themselves, right? I've got my organic, gluten-free diet. I've got my essential oils that I am lathering on repeatedly, right? I'm good, right? I am confident in, my, in myself and in my health, right? I'm going to live long and prosper, right? Success, money, right? Some of those things may, may not be bad in and of themselves, but God is not going to give you something to turn your heart away from him, right? God wants to give us things to drive us towards him, right? To make us want him. This passage, I think, has been misinterpreted so often as people are just thinking, Jesus just giving me a blank check to fill in with whatever I want and he is bound to give it to me, right? Yes, this is sweet money. Let's get some health. Let's get some wealth. Let's get some happiness in, in here, 
And I think it's been so misinterpreted that we've got to remember that this isn't the only thing that Jesus said about, about prayer. If you want to just keep your finger in Matthew 7, but even turn over to John chapter 16, even later on in the book of, of John, page 903 in your, uh, in your Bible, right, we'll see even kind of a similar statement that Jesus makes in the gospel of John. He says in verse 23 of John 16, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this statement, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound similar to Matthew, Matthew 7, 7, 11? Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now I think we've got to realize that there was a key phrase in there that we've got to take note of, right? He says, whatever you ask of the Father, how? In my name, right? That is a key phrase that we need to remember, right? It's not a magic phrase, right? It's not just like, well, if I just attach that phrase to anything I ask for, boom, God's going to give it to me, right? It's not the hang-up phrase in a prayer conversation. In Jesus' name, bye, right? That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. That Jesus is saying that, that his name, right, praying something in Jesus' name, right, Jesus is what gives us access to God, what gives us actually the ability to come to God, but it also has the connotation of it saying, hey, I would sign my name to that prayer request. It's like, I want that too, right? That praying something in Jesus' name means it's consistent with who he is and his desires, right? That it's that it's, 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 it, in the Bible, names really describe the person a lot more than, uh, you know, our names do today. You know, Bill, William, uh, Protector, I think is what the name, and it's like, okay, all right, sweet, I'm a protector, all right? But that's, we don't name people in the same way as they did back in Bible times, but when Jesus talks about his name, when God talks about his name, it describes who he is. It's telling you his character and so if we're going to pray for the right things, if we're going to see God answer, we've got to make sure that we're praying for things that are consistent with Jesus' character and his desires. How are we going to know what that is? Jesus has given us his desires. He's given us his commands. This is not even the first time. Go back to Matthew 7, right? If you've still got your finger there, hopefully. In Matthew 7, we'll go back to Matthew 6, actually. This is not the first time, even in this Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has talked about prayer. We see in verse 9 of chapter 6. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you heard that before? Right? So many people, they just kind of recite that meaninglessly today. But really, Jesus is giving us what it looks like to pray in his name, consistent with his character, consistent with his desires. Right? It's not just something to recite, but even just look at that first thing that we're supposed to request. Hallowed be your name. Right? That Jesus is saying that what's consistent with his, his character and his desires is that the name of God, the name of Jesus Christ would be hallowed, would be holy, would be set apart, would be lifted up high, would occupy its own special place that it alone deserves to occupy. Right? That's what it looks like to pray in Jesus' name, right? That if you're saying, God, I, I feel like I've got a low view of you. God, I, I want your name to be hallowed. I want my thoughts of you to be higher. Right? I want to see your glory. I want to see your majesty and all of your perfection. I want to I be blown away by your greatness and your glory, right? That's praying in Jesus' name. And you want to know what's going to happen if you ask God to do that in your life? He's going to do it, right? He's going to show you how great he is. He's going to drive you to his word to where you see him put on display, right? That all of his glory, all of his perfections, all of his, his per her perfect plan throughout all of human history is put on display in his word. We say, God, we want your name to be lifted high in our church. Right? Is that a prayer we've already seen God answer? week in, week out, as we come to him and we worship him together? Have we seen that? Right? We say, God, we want your name to be hallowed, to be set apart in our city. Haven't we already seen people come into faith and repentance 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you are in the room. I just met somebody after the first service who became a Christian this week. God, would you hallow your name, right? If you, if you say, God, I, I want to be obedient to your word. God, would you help me to know your commands and do them? Guess what God's going to do? He's going to say yes. God's not going to say, no, I don't want you to obey me. I'm not going to do that. He absolutely, 100% will answer. I mean, maybe some of us need to pray that we would pray. Right? We're seeing God's commands, his desire for us, that we would come and seek and knock and ask, that we would pray to him. And maybe you're at the spot where you're just saying, I, I'm struggling with that. I haven't really made that a, a habit in my life. I haven't made that a practice of, of my life. You can go to God and ask him to do that in your life. Right? God, I need help with this. Would you help me with this? Even a simple request like that. You think, what, you think God's going to answer? Yes? Yes, he will. He will answer, yes. God will answer, right? So we've got to make sure that we're asking. We've got to make sure that we're asking for the right things and for the right motives, not to just spend it on ourselves, but for his glory and for the honor of his name. But also in Matthew 7, look at, look at what Jesus says here. I think he repeats these things for emphasis, right? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, this is not a nonchalant kind of language that Jesus is using. These are present imperatives that are meant to be continuous. That's like you're continually asking, you're continually seeking, you're continually knocking. There is some urgency, some oomph in these verses, right? Our next problem that we need to put up on the, uh, the notes is that maybe another problem is that you may not be asking eagerly. You may not be asking eagerly with fervor, with urgency. Now, uh, one of the members of the core team uh, I was talking with last night, and they were hopeful, Tim Payne was hopeful that I could, you know, give some backstory on Pastor Bobby even uh, this morning. So here it goes. Uh, When uh, Bobby was in sixth grade, I believe, uh, I'm a little bit younger than Bobby, but I remember it uh, vividly, um, if if I do remember it correctly, right, that around sixth grade was one of the first times where Bobby was home by himself. I don't know what exactly me and my mom and my younger brother and my dad, we were doing. Maybe we were off running an errand. But Bobby's a big boy now. He's sixth grade. He is able to stay home by himself for a little while, right? And during that time at home alone, Bobby became convinced that there was an intruder in our house, right? I'm not sure what what convinced him of this, but absolutely, totally convinced. And so in his socks and his, you know, clothes and everything, but socks, no shoes, right? He ran down the street, across a big street, down the next street. We had some friends that went to our church with us named the Everonis. They live about like a quarter mile away. And here's my brother booking it over to their house in his socks. I don't know what that looks like, you know, the window of just like the sixth grade Bobby Blakey in his socks, making haste over to the Everonis. And so we come home and we're like, where is Bobby? Where, where is he? And here comes Mr. Everoni with the the terrified Bobby in his socks and his socks alone. And I wasn't there at the Everoni's house to see what the knock on that door looked like, but I think it probably had some urgency to it, right? I don't think it was just a polite little, hey, Mr. Everoni, right? It was like, no, there's a bad guy in my house. He might be chasing me right now. Let me in to your house and make make me safe, right? That's the kind of language that's being used Here, it's like we need to be knocking on the door as if there's a bad guy coming to get us. Let us in, please. Right? We need to be continually going to the Lord. This is a pounding on the door. This is like the searching when you lose your wallet or your keys in your house. It's like let us turn over all the couch cushions and we will find this. We will not rest until we find this. This is like an asking that's a pleading. It's a going to God and begging for him to work. That's the kind of prayer that we're commanded to by our Lord Jesus Christ. And honestly, it, it kind of makes me a little bit sick to hear some Christians pray because it's this very routine, methodical, there's no urgency. They're even using phrases that it's like, what does that even mean? Bless this day. What are we even saying when we say that? Bless this day. I mean, maybe we mean something good by it, but what does it even mean? What would it even look like 
for God to bless this day. And there's not this urgency, this, this pleading, this eagerness, this zeal. Right, let me just tell you that, that this kind of prayer is not going to be something you're able to do in 15 seconds be, before a meal three times a day. Right? It's going to take something else besides that. And that's the way that God wants us to come to him. Not just with a, oh, hey, I prayed once last month. Good to see you again, God. Here's my request for these month. No, there's, a, there's an urgency because we realize that we need God to do things that we cannot do. Do you, do you know that in your life, that you need God to do things for you that you cannot do for yourself? We need God to do things through this church that we are powerless to accomplish in our own strength. Why? We're, we're praying for Jesus to save people, right? Do we know that Jesus wants to save people? Absolutely, right? So if we're asking him to do that, should we expect him to do that? Even this month, even in the month of October, God might even use you to introduce someone to Jesus Christ this month, right? We've got to have an urgency. We've got to go to the Lord, right? We've got to, we've got to come to him and plead, plead with him. Our last problem that we need to identify is that in all of this, we still may not believe in God's goodness and ability. Let's put that up on the you may not believe in God's goodness and ability, right? I mean, really, the way you pray or don't pray really shows you what you believe about God, right? If there's some of us that by the way we pray, we show that we really believe that God is kind of far off and distant and uninterested in our lives. He, maybe even some of us kind of feel like God has got it out for us a little bit. Right? And that's not the way that God describes himself in this passage. This is not the way that Jesus talks about God. Now, I've got three kids, and I've realized that, like, I've got three kids, right? And I've got to spend individual time, right? And I've even, with twins, it's like they're twins, but they're not the same person. Right? I've got to give individual attention to them. And I'm limited, right, because of my time, because of my energy, because of my resources. God's not limited, like that, God is not limited to give individual personal attention to every single one of his children at the same exact time. Right? He's infinite. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. Right? He is the perfect heavenly father that is engaged in the lives of his children. Right? And if, I don't know if, you, if, you're, if you're doubting that, if you're doubting God's love, if you've been saved by Jesus Christ, but you're at a spot where you're doubting God's love for you, he's already shown you how much he loves you. Let me just read for you from Romans chapter 8, uh, verse, verse 32, where Paul writes, writes this. Maybe even just jot that down on your, your notes, um, or verse 31 and 32. And it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That God's basically saying, hey, if I've already sent my son to die for you in your place so that you could be redeemed and adopted, then won't I also be able to give you what you need? Won't I also with Christ give you all things? Like, we have got to be absolutely convinced of God's love for us because he has shown it to us, right? He has demonstrated his love for us through sending his son, Jesus Christ. And how much more should we expect, right? We should expect that love to continue. We should expect him to continue to be the perfect, loving, heavenly father that he has already shown himself to be. We've got to believe that, right? He is amazing. And I know that through this church, I know that there are many people who are praying, right? That they truly believe this about the Lord. And I, I want to encourage you, don't stop praying, right? Maybe we've, we've already seen God do amazing things in this last year of, of Compass Bible Church, things that are beyond all that we could ask or think. Don't, don't stop praying for more. Right? God wants you to continually be, be in the spot where you are amazed at him, where he is showing off his power and his love and his greatness for you to behold it and just worship. Right? That's where God wants you to be. He's not done. Right? You think you've seen God do great things so far this year at Compass Bible Church? Buckle up. He's got more to do. And he wants you to expect that. He wants you to believe that. 
He wants, you, he wants to show that to you. He wants to glorify himself through that. So many uh, who are already praying, don't, don't lose heart. Right? You've got that person that you've been praying for and they, they have not responded to the gospel yet. Keep praying. Keep knocking. Do not stop knocking. Barge down the door. Barge it down, right? Knock it down, right? Keep asking. Keep seeking until you see God answer. And he'll glorify himself. And there's others of us, though. Maybe, maybe we're brand new believers or, or maybe we've been a believer for a while, but we just haven't been obedient to, to the Lord. We've got to get in the game. We've got to obey the Lord. God is telling you today how he wants you to live. You've got to respond in obedience to his word. And that's our last point on our notes this morning is that we have got to put prayer into practice. It does us no good to have a sermon about prayer and to realize maybe some of the reasons why we don't pray if we don't pray, right? If you, uh, through Jesus Christ, have been given the key card access to that office building, right, it does you no good to just look at the building, right? You have to take that key card out and go over to the little thing that goes beep when you you put it up to it and then enter the building. Some of us, we've just got to start doing it. And so I want to encourage you, like one of the main ways that you need to do this, we've seen already that this kind of prayer that we're talking about here, it's not, it's not going to happen in 15 seconds a day. It's not going to happen just before a meal, that you actually need to set aside time to pray. Right? That this is so important and we need to be so focused and engaged, that this is going to engage our thoughts in the Lord, that you need to make time for it. You might even need to set an appointment on your calendar and treat it as the most important appointment on your calendar. You need to protect that time. Set aside time this week to pray. You need to concentrate. You need to find a spot where you're not going to be distracted by your phone or by uh, other people. And maybe even a good thing for you to do personally, but maybe also with your home fellowship group, would be to go to Matthew 6 and the the prayer that Jesus says, pray then like this, and look at that and say, hey, these are all the categories. These are directions that God is commanding me to pray in. This is me like understanding from God what is consistent with his will and his character. Like, what does that look like? Okay, what are all the situations today that I want to pray for God's name to be hallowed in, in my life, in the life of my family, in, in my job at work, it, it, through, our, through our church, through in, in our city Right To just write down a list or what are all the things that I know that God wants to do and then spend time asking God to do those things. Right? We need to set aside time to do that. I hope that you're doing that. And, and if not, start this week. Like Make this week the most prayerful week that you have ever had in your entire life. Right? This might be the most prayerful week ever in the history of Compass Bible Church because I think we've got some things to pray for. Do we not? We got some things coming up that we're asking God to do that we know, does Jesus save? Let's ask him to do that. Can we save? No, we can't. Let's go to God in prayer and ask him to save. Right? We've got to be setting aside time to do that, and we've got to be going to God all throughout the day. Right? The, the Bible says pray without ceasing, that there should be this constant dependence upon the Lord in prayer where we're asking him to work, that in every situation of our life, with every person, we're praying. Right? As you're driving your car to work, right? and you, you know you've got enemies at your job, right? that you are praying, God, would you help me to love my enemies? I, you're, I'm commanded to love even those who hate me. Would you help me to do that? This week as I'm driving into work, right? As you're driving to church every Sunday or Wednesday or whenever you're coming, uh, you're saying, God, would you glorify your name? Would you, would you show us who you are and, and help us to remember who you declare yourself to be and all that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, so that you're worshiped and praised and our hearts are engaged with you and you are our great joy and your name is hallowed? You gotta be praying that. Uh, before, you, before you come in on a Sunday morning, that you need to pray, hey, God, would you use your word to change me and, and grow me? Lord, I know you want me to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you do that through the preaching of your word this morning? Would you show me how you want me to live and cause me to walk in your ways? 
God, would you save people that every week we've got new people coming in to Compass Bible Church, Huntington Beach, that don't know Jesus Christ, who aren't adopted into his family, that this kind of prayer they will not experience until they're saved from their sins through Jesus Christ. God, would you save those people? When you're out on a run, when you're heading into a meeting, when you're lying awake at night, pray. Direct your thoughts to the Lord. Ask him to do what he alone can do. And I think we also need to pray together. We need to gather together as God's people and ask him to work. We see that all throughout the, uh, the early church in the book of Acts, that they're gathering together. They're devoting themselves to prayer. Are you devoting yourselves to prayer with other Christians here at Compass Bible Church that you can actually get here before a service starts? I don't know if you know this. The building is open. Right? You could just gather with some other believers and pray for what we want God to do that we can't do. Right? You need to pray for God to do things that Bobby can't accomplish, right? that God has to do in the hearts of people, that God has to regenerate people and give them life and bring them to repentance and faith. Right? Husbands and wives need to pray together. And I, I think for all the things that we're asking God to do this month, we need to gather together and pray. I, I believe that there is even a prayer meeting tomorrow night at 7 p.m. at this church, that if you're free, I would strongly encourage you to go and you'll be blessed to go before the Lord and to seek and to ask and to knock and you will see him answer, right? If you're praying for the things that you know that he wants to do that are consistent with his will and his character, you can walk away like with expectation. I prayed for God to use me to introduce someone to Jesus Christ. Who's that person gonna be? Right? That'll make your life exciting this month. You will be the most excited you've ever been in the month of October if you're seeking, if you're asking, if you're knocking. We've got we've to pray. So I hope that this morning that you haven't felt that prayer is a chore. Prayer is a privilege. Prayer is a, a joy that we could go to God and relate to the God of the universe on a personal level because of his son, Jesus Christ, and we could have the expectation that when we're going to our heavenly Father how much more should we expect, right? That he gives good things to his children who ask him. So let me pray for us. God, you are so good. You are lifted high, God. And just thank you for even the way that you have magnified your name in our midst this morning, God, that you have shown your great love for us, God. You have shown that you are the perfect heavenly father who perfectly cares for his children. God, we want to believe that. Lord, we want to trust in who you are. We want to build our lives on you, Lord, and we want to live in accordance with your commands and your words. So God, I pray if there's someone here this morning, God, that even as we're talking about this, they're realizing that they haven't seen you answer the prayer in their life like you describe it here. Lord, I pray that that they would even uh, start to think, God, that they would consider whether or not they know you, Lord, whether they are related to you because they've been adopted through your son, Jesus Christ, whether they've truly repented of their sins and put their faith in you. And God, for all of us, Lord, that you have redeemed, that you have adopted, God, we want to come to you. God, we want to ask you, even this month, Lord, to do great things for your glory. Lord, we want to ask you that this week would be the most prayerful week of our lives ever. Because you're so good, God. Because of your promises. So God, we pray that you would receive all the glory and all the praise for your great work that is continuing. And all God's people said, amen.